on the starting line standing with all the confidence of the training that you've done. Don't be thinking about the workout you missed or the long run you cut short. Think about the workouts you crushed, the long runs that went super well. Hey everybody, Emily Abadi here coming to you. Oh, I have chills saying this. I'm so happy to be home from the AG studio. You are listening to a special installment of Hurdle Moment that I recorded live, the last of the Boston content hitting your feeds this morning. I recorded this episode with pro runners for Puma, Dakota Lindworm and Annie Frisbee. Dakota ran the Boston Marathon on Monday. Annie ran the 5K on Saturday. I'm like getting all of my days mixed up now. In retrospect, the last week has been a blur, but I had the good opportunity to sit down with both of these ladies to chat about all things you may need to know if you are going to tow the line for your first marathon. I get a bunch of questions about this stuff on the regular, so I figured why not rope in two pros to chat about everything from fueling to clothing to pacing to uh, how to dress, I said clothing, but for different weather. Also, uh, the best advice they've ever received and the best advice that they would want to offer a beginner runner, perhaps like yourself when it comes to the marathon distance. And we also chat about their backstories, how they got into the Sport, uh, both of them with their own interesting journey. Dakota, a former hockey goalie turned marathoner, and Annie herself ran her first marathon, the New York City Marathon in 2021. And not only did she lead the pack for a bit there, but she also came out on top as the third place female American finisher. Just absolutely outstanding. Thank you so, so much to the team at Puma for bringing us all together for this fun conversation. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Body and I'm gonna keep the intro short and sweet this week. I do want to do a little bit of housekeeping and say this if you are new to the hurdle feed, if you just found out about the show, then you would be delighted to know that there is also a hurdle newsletter that comes out every single Friday. A lot of the same motivation and inspiration that you love about the podcast directly in your inbox. To subscribe to the weekly hurdle, click on over to the show notes and tap the link. And also, if you want to ask me a question, if you want to leave me a voice message, I would love to answer it on an upcoming episode of the show. The link to do that is in the show notes as well. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Ladies, would you like to introduce yourselves to the crowd? Let's start over here. Okay. I'm Dakota Lindworm. I run for Minnesota Distance Elite, and I am primarily a marathoner. And I'm Annie Frisbee, and I also run for Minnesota Distance Elite. And I would also say I'm primarily a marathoner, but I'll be doing the 5K this weekend. So we've got a 5K this weekend and a marathoner this weekend. But veteran marathoners, let's make sure that we 
Dakota's veteran marathoner. I've only done one. So. Don't but, say this because we're here to talk a lot about marathoning today. But, and you're pretty good at it. Yeah. The one did go really well. <laughs> why don't we why don't we start there? Why don't we kick things off talking a little bit, Annie, about your inaugural marathon experience. Not that long ago. Yeah, it's last fall. Last fall, New York City, where uh, where Annie happened to just like lead the entire marathon for just a small while. Casual. Casual. <laughs> so talk to us. Your first marathon, what was your biggest concern going into it? Going into it was uh, probably fueling. I, for some reason, practiced only a few times. Uh, I don't know why I only practiced a few times, but it was probably just making sure I got to my bottles and not knocking it over. I've heard a lot of people just, you know, accidentally missing it or knocking it over and not getting the nutrition you need in those early miles. Um, and so that was probably the biggest concern of mine. But also, you know, when I was leading up front, it was a concern of mine that I would crash and burn. Um, thankfully, I didn't, but it's always kind of in the back of your mind, like you could crash and burn. You could, okay. So we talked about just now two things to touch on here, fueling and pacing. I, so you know, put out a question to the hurdlers, as I call the audience, uh, the listeners of the show. I put out some questions to the hurdlers to ask them what they wanted us to talk about here tonight. And those are definitely two topics that people had a lot of questions about. So you mentioned reaching for a bottle. When you're running a marathon, are you primarily getting your fuel, which is really important for marathoning, through uh, drinkable electrolytes, or do you also take gel? Uh, I did the Mar Morton drink mix, okay. and um, it had a little bit of caffeine in it. I, I didn't end up doing gels just because the consistency I knew it wasn't going to stay down for me personally. I know everyone's pretty different with what works for them. I know Dakota uses Tailwind, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, for me, the drink mix just stayed down really well, and it has very little flavor, so it didn't make me nauseous at all. Um, but that's kind of what I was thinking. Dakota, talk to us about how you fuel and how you're planning to fuel for Boston. Yeah, I use Tailwind, which is like a drink mix that has caffeine in it. Um, personally, I can do like a gel on an easy run, but the faster I go, the faster that comes right back up. So I, um, I stay away from gels, but plenty of people use them, and I think that they're, they're great for some people. For some people. And what they're touching on here that's really important is the trial and error, right? Like you never want to show up to a big day, like a race or something, and be like, this is exactly what I'm gonna do today. Today's the day that I'm gonna try a whole new strategy. That kind of mentality also goes hand in hand with what we wear on race day. Why don't you both talk to me a little bit? I mentioned we're here recording this at the run Puma House. What sneakers that you're running in most recently? Um, for the race? Let's start with the race. Okay. I'll be in the Fast R's, and I've spent, uh, I think I've done three half marathons in them now, and I've spent plenty of time in them in practice, and I love them. Um, in practice, I'm in the Magnifies quite a bit, and I think just like they have the support that I need, um, and yeah, keep me healthy. I also love the Magnifies. I love a higher cushion shoe. I think it's just good for high mileage personally, um, just to... Uh, prevent injuries and tendonitis and whatnot. And then I've been kind of 50-50 with the Fast R's and then the Nitro Deviate Elites. Uh, this weekend I'll be racing in the Nitro Deviate Elites, but I also really love the Fast R's. It's just a little bit of a different feel. 
And something to note about both the Nitro Deviate Elites and the Fast R's is that both of these sneakers have a carbon plate in them. So that's something to keep in mind when it comes to picking up the pace. Obviously, this is uh, relatively new technology in running, so to speak, but they are known for really helping you kind of take it to that next level. Do you feel really speedy when you put on the Fast R's? Yeah, I do feel speedy. And I think what I really appreciate is the next day, I just don't feel quite as beat up if I'm wearing a, a carbon fiber plated shoe. Yeah, yeah, definitely on the same page there. It almost like launches you forward with just how aggressive the plate is. Um, and for speed work, it's great. <laughs> and we, we were saying here beyond sneakers, also trying out clothing. That can be so important. We were joking before about the weather a little bit. I know that Annie doesn't like to look too much into the forecast. She's like, I'll just check it two, three days before. If I'm traveling, I'll pack the right things. We'll be good. But you, on the other hand, yeah, I like to worry about anything I can worry about. So. <laughs> Add it to the list. <laughs> so the advice that we were kind of exchanging earlier is really finding the pieces of gear that you feel good in so that regardless of what happens two, three, four, five days before your chosen race, you know, like, okay, it's going to be this temperature outside, which means I want to wear shorts, which means that these are the shorts that I like to wear out in the world, rather than being like, oh, I guess a week before I should try to figure out how to run in shorts if it's gonna be aggressively hot out. So the weather can definitely be something that makes you super nervous. Another thing, we did touch on fueling, but beyond fueling during your run, we also have to talk about what you're eating before, and then maybe we can talk about celebrating after. So when it comes to before towing the line for a marathon, what are you thinking about, let's start maybe a week before? A week before, that's a long ways out. I, I think maybe the day, I, I really only think of the day of, honestly, like the, the week before, I'm not really thinking about what I'm having for dinner, probably just what I normally do. I'm pretty routine as a person, so. Would you say that your fueling changed when you became a pro at all? No, it, it hasn't really changed drastically. I would say I eat fairly clean in general, um, but that's not to say I am always a clean eater either. I think it's good to have balance in your life with that kind of thing. Um, but for the morning of the race, I do like to stick to just simple like bagel, peanut butter, banana, that kind of thing. Um, but the week leading up to it, it's kind of just, you know, going about your normal life, how you would feel for training. Let's make sure that we note here that carbohydrates are your friend. <laughs> Maybe not going overboard, of course. It's not like I want you to eat like pasta for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but we do want to be mindful that as you're breaking through those glycogen stores that you want to make sure that you're giving your body what it needs so that it can perform in its best, which is of course why we're fueling during the run itself, also super important. Dakota, what are you eating the night before a marathon? Pasta makes you run pasta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I usually do some sort of spaghetti. Is that, a, is that like a, a Midwest accent that you were just? <laughs> it's, just it's just a rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about a post-race moment when it's done, when everything's said and done, do you have a go-to meal? Um, for a meal, typically I like pizza, something to kind of soak up everything in my stomach. And then I like to eat the things that I don't normally get to eat in the Midwest. So being here, I'm going to get some oysters. I'm super excited for that. And I will be having the tallest Sam Adams that I can find. <laughs>
I, I'm on the same page. Finding a good drink, uh, <laughs> pizza is always great. Some, maybe some ice cream, you know. Uh, yeah, whatever is local too. I'm actually gonna try oysters for the first time while we're here, so I'm very excited for, for that. the first time. Yes. Wow. It, the Midwest is not really known for their oysters, so <laughs> I don't think I wanted to try it there. What are what is the Midwest known for? Cheese, yeah, cheese. Whoever said that. <laughs> it looks like we have some other Midwesterners in the in the house here. Also love their cheese. Well, before we keep going here to talk about other tips for relatively new marathoners, I think it could be really helpful for you guys to both give us a little bit of context about how you've gotten here, both newer, relatively new athletes for Puma, which is such an exciting and big moment for both of you. Congratulations on that. So why don't we start here with Dakota. Talk to us a little bit about your relationship with running and when you knew that you wanted to take it to this next level. It's kind of tough for me because I, growing up, was a hockey player, like a true Minnesotan. Um, I played hockey growing up and I loved it. It was everything to me. Um, I had maybe an un un unhealthy relationship with it where my highest highs were with hockey and my lowest lows were with hockey. And my mom saw that and was like, you need to broaden your horizons. And I thought for sure she was trying to ruin my life. <laughs> uh, turns out she was right. Um, so I joined the track and field team um, and immediately was pretty horrible at it. I really had to train hard to not take last in most of my races and honestly didn't get a single recruitment letter for running. So I was a walk-on in a division two college. And I progressed slowly through college, but my college coach just kind of said, hey, I think you could uh, qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon as I was graduating. And he was not saying, quit your day job and focus on running, but that's what I heard. So I, as I graduated college, I jumped right in head first and uh, didn't take my job offer as I was graduating and decided to just follow my dream. Wow. And it's interesting, right? Because you mentioned that hockey, it was like really high highs and really low lows. How did you avoid falling into some of those same patterns when it came to running, especially as you were describing getting into running, being quote unquote, your words, not mine, not good at it. I think what helped me with hockey was personally, if I love something, I'm incredibly passionate about it. So if we had a bad game in hockey and I was the goalie, um, I could stop all the pucks I wanted, but I couldn't put the puck in the net. So as a runner, I think what's good for me is like, if I have a bad race, it's on me. And if I have a great race, it's on me. I'm in complete control. Um, so I think I just think about that um, as a runner. Okay. And then Annie, talk to us about when you knew that you wanted to make running the thing. I think for me, I was also in a different sport like Dakota. I was a soccer player, um, but I was not maybe as good at soccer as uh, Dakota was good at hockey. I was always good at getting to the ball and I was always able to, you know, be the fastest on the field, but my foot skills were terrible. And so I knew it probably wasn't going to take me anywhere. Um, but I ended up signing for the cross, signing up for the cross country team in middle school and just kind of fell in love with it. All my friends were in it at the time. And so it was kind of a, a good social thing, just, you know, running with your friends and turn into a more competitive thing in high school and then uh, was able to run for a college as well. And it wasn't until my senior year where I kind of thought about taking it professionally. Um, and thankfully, our coach, Chris Lenstrom, uh, reached out to me and was like, hey, we 
think you'd be a great fit on the team. And uh, I came out and visited and uh, I'm from Wisconsin. So it was very kind of close to home for me. And so it was just a, an, an easy decision for me. And I'm really glad I did because uh, our coach, he and I, his and my personality just really match up well together. And we've found a lot of success together. So that's kind of long-winded way of <laughs> saying I love running, I guess. <laughs> a long-winded way of saying I love running. And you had mentioned, or I'm sorry, I had brought up before that uh, 2022, you both signed with Puma. Where were the both of you when the news came out about your next big life chapter? Why don't you start us off? I got my offer from my agent while I was working, thinking about how badly I didn't want to be working. <laughs> and I just got the email that said Puma offer. And I didn't even open it. And I called my dad crying. And I, it didn't matter what they were offering me. I was just so excited that uh, a brand like Puma wanted to sponsor me that I called my dad crying. And he's like, well, are you like, is it real? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And that, that dad phone call, I can relate. Like, there's nothing like the dad phone call. Absolutely nothing like it. And where were you? I think I was in the middle of a work day. I, it, there was a little bit of a lull after the New York City Marathon where I was just, uh, it was very difficult to focus at work. And so getting that offer letter, I was, you know, super excited. And I think I uh, went to my boyfriend and told him about it and a little bit just, you know, super ecstatic, but also a little bit shocked um, and just, you know, really excited about the future and what it could hold with Puma. And why was this specifically so aligned with what you had going on? I mean, both of you obviously not Boston based, but working with a Boston based company, that's really exciting for you to be able to continue training where you are and surround yourself with all of these people that have built you up and helped you get to where you are today. Yeah, it, it meant the world to me that Puma didn't try to like change anything that I was already doing because, um, you know, if it's working, why change it kind of thing. And so thankfully they let us both, you know, stay as kind of individual contract athletes and stay with our team and stay with our coach uh, and stay in Minneapolis too. I think that's something that I really wanted to do um, until it isn't working. I'd like to keep it that way and continue to grow in my environment. Let's talk a little bit about Minneapolis. <laughs> For someone who's never been to Minneapolis, what's one thing I should know about Minneapolis? The lakes are great. I, <laughs> uh, I think it's really beautiful. It's a very underrated city. Uh, in the fall, it's gorgeous with the leaves. It's, you know, it's, it's no Boston by any means, but it's, it's very uh, unique and there's a lot to do there. It's a very outdoorsy, even in the winter when it's like negative 30, people are still outside snowshoeing or skiing, doing whatever. Um, but it's great. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you covered it. I, you get all four seasons and you get like the worst of the worst and the best of the best. So, I mean, you said negative 30, which is where I was going to lead us with Minneapolis, uh, relevant to the discussion that we're having here, which is about running and marathoning. What is your threshold for running outside versus running inside? If it's like negative 10, that's about like anything colder than that, that's I'm on the treadmill. I think in it's the bigger factor is what the footing is like, because obviously we get quite a bit of snow. So if it's really icy, that's um, that means I'm on the treadmill. Personally. I would say same. But if I'm by myself, my threshold is a lot lower. Like I would say if it's below 15, I'm on the treadmill. Um, but if I'm with people, it's easier to go outside when it's negative 10. Uh, so it just depends. 
I would say my threshold is about freezing. <laughs> if it's sub like if it's sub like 20, usually I'm like I'm going to I'm going to call it. But obviously, you know, something that we haven't talked about yet and also a important consideration when an important consideration when it comes to race day is keeping in mind that when you're out there and your body is moving and you're generating body heat, they recommend that you anticipate to feel as though it's at least 15 degrees warmer than it actually is outside. So for example, Boston Marathon Day on Monday, I think right now the weather prediction is about 54 degrees. I know like there's been a few numbers changing in there a little bit, but that would say that like, okay, dress as though it's 70 degrees outside. Okay, I do wanna pivot a little bit and talk about advice. I'm sure the more that the both of you have excelled over the years, perhaps the more unsolicited advice at times you receive. When you think about some of the best advice that you have received as you have come into your own as professional athletes, what comes to mind? I think for me, uh, visualizing, I don't, I think it was actually back in my high school days, my coach uh, kind of taught me what visualizing was. And then, you know, my college coach reiter reiterated that and then uh, my current coach as well. Um, but visualizing the race during your easy runs or workouts or um, whatever, or just visualizing your goals too. I think having that mental tool is really helpful. And, um, you know, even if you're not having a great workout or easy run, whatever, still visualizing yourself doing well is a huge boost in training, I would say. And it has helped me immensely. When you say visualizing, say if you're running somewhere that you've never been before, what are you really going through in the motions of that? Are you trying to think about putting yourself specifically in that race, in that place, or is it broader than that? It's not the place at all. It's more the feeling. How, how am I going to feel during the race? Who, who do I want to be next to in the race? Um, maybe what place do I want to be in or what, um, how do I want to feel at this point of the race? Uh, like for New York specifically, I remember on my easy runs, I, would, I was running really slow. I was kind of dealing with some tendonitis, and so I had to take my easy runs really easy. Um, and I would visualize getting top three American, which looking back is ridiculous because I was running super slow. But visualizing that and um, you know, kind of picturing who I might be next to in the race, um, just on easy runs, come race day, it's not a surprise to be next to those people. And it's not a surprise to be in the lead if you are. So it's just mentally preparing for any situation. You know, it's interesting, right? There are three things that we can train. And I am pulling this quote from a podcast that I listened to once with Michael Gervais. But he said, you can train your body, you can train your mind, and you can train your craft. So aside from the visualization, do you do anything else to train your mind? trying to think. Um, Are you a meditation person? I'm not, but I would love to get into that because I've heard a lot of people, um, you know, find great results with that as well, but I haven't really tried it. Um, what about you? I actually, during this buildup, read The Mindful Athlete, which I would really recommend, which is all about meditation. And it's about kind of just finding your flow while you're running. And I definitely recommend reading that because it's it's really interesting once you realize you probably experience that flow of your running, but you're not thinking about running and you're not really thinking about anything. And it kind of just helps you channel that, which is great during a marathon when it hurts and things are getting hard and dark because you want to be in that flow of like not really thinking. Thank you. 
taking a break from today's conversation with Annie and Dakota to talk to you about one of my sponsors. Thank you so much to Green Chef. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or really just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. And let me tell you, I am so excited to get back in the kitchen with my Green Chef this week. I love that they deliver fresh produce premium proteins and organic ingredients that I can trust right to my door. Plus, I ordered my Green Chef last week for delivery this week, which means that I can avoid long lines at the grocery store making cooking something that really relaxes me even more convenient. I also love Green Chef because you can enjoy your greens while being green. Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of the plastic in every box and 100% of their carbon emissions and their carbon footprint. I'm trying to remember what's in my box this coming week. I know I've got a spicy chili ginger chicken kale salad on deck. Also, one of my favorite recipes that they offer, the Italian beef stuffed peppers. And I cannot forget one of my favorites, their creamy Italian sausage soup. I am so excited to get back in the kitchen with Green Chef. Trust me, if you are looking for a meal kit to try ASAP, this one is where it's at. Head on over to greenchef.com slash hurdle130 and use code hurdle130 to get $130 off plus free shipping today. Again, that is greenchef.com slash hurdle130. Use code hurdle130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. To pivot back to the advice moment, I feel like we like kind of like went up a hill and then came back down the hill. When you think about the best advice that you've been offered, what, where would you go with that? Um, I think about how you just need to be on the starting line, standing with all the confidence of the training that you've done. Don't be thinking about the workout you missed or the long run you cut short. Think about the workouts you crushed, the, the long runs that went super well. I think standing there with any doubt is doing yourself a big disservice. I also think that when it comes to having that little bit of doubt, some of that can creep in during the taper period, right? Um, For those that may not be familiar with the word taper, uh, Annie, do you want to talk to them about what that really means? Um, Essentially, you know, you've been slogging those long miles for months and months on end, and then the final week comes around and it's, you know, almost cut in half. And so you have all this energy. Um, You know, sometimes you feel worse. Sometimes you feel better. It's, It's such a weird thing. And Um, Yeah, it's just easing up on your body finally after, you know, months of training. Would you say that you get the quote-unquote taper terrors? Any of them, yes. (laughs) What is that that like for you? I think for me it's just you're, when you're in high mileage training, you're doing so much every single day, it feels like you're making these big strides, and then you're tapering, and your mileage is cut, you're not really doing strength or core, and all of a sudden it's like, am I... Am I regressing? Am I getting slower during this week? You're not. It's just 
just your mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that that can, like, so much of that, like, disgusting negative thoughts seep in. You're not feeling super stellar because you're not moving maybe as much as you were previously. You might be feeling a little sluggish. Then you're, like, feeling, you're starting to ask yourself all of these questions, all this stuff creeps in. Uh, what would your advice be to someone who is dealing with a little bit of that negative self-talk during the taper period? Find somebody who, find a buddy who knows something about running and like express those feelings and they're going to be like, you're fine. <laughs> For me, I feel like I always go to my coach in this last week and I'm like, I'm not fit. Everything's out the window. Like things are going to go so bad. And he's like, chill. <laughs> Do you have any advice to offer? I would say the same, yeah. It's who you surround yourself with. Get someone who helps you like get out of your own head too. You know, whoever that may be, your coach, your friend, your partner, anyone, um, just getting out of your own head and distracting you from that. Cause yeah, your mind is just playing tricks on you. It's not true at all, you're fine. <laughs> I feel like that advice is certainly practical to just everything, right? Uh, you know, that saying you're the sum of the five closest people to you. So surrounding yourself with people that build you up is gonna be super, super important when it comes to channeling all the good energy that you want to be channeling. When it comes to feeling your best, another really big piece to the puzzle, kind of going hand in hand with tapering, is also recovery. I'd love to talk to you both a little bit about what your maybe everyday recovery looks like and what um, some maybe lesser recovery practices that you include in your routine are. So why don't you kick us off here, Dakota? Yeah, for recovery for me, I think what I like to focus most on is sleep. Um, I'm getting absolutely like nine hours of sleep a night. Um, and if I don't, I'm taking a nap during the day. I also personally like to use Normatex. Like forcing yourself to sit there still for an hour, 45 minutes is something that's good for your body and for your mind. Compression boots, that blood flow really helps the muscle regeneration. But I do really think that note of sitting and being still, sometimes it's so easy for us to distract ourselves, right? We're going a thousand miles an hour, not just literally in your case, but also like there's just so much going on. So finding that time to sit with yourself can be a little off-putting and scary, but really beneficial when it comes to processing what's going on around you. And on the sleep note, I feel like a question that might come up would be two part. One, have you always felt as though you were this good? I just use air quotes for people listening to this on the feed at sleeping. And what have been some practices that you have put into place or parameters around your sleep that help you get those nine hours that you're really looking for? If my mom was here, she would say I was always this good at sleep. I never had a bedtime. I was in bed by eight, um, even as a high schooler. So I guess like for me, I just don't like feeling bad so or like tired. So for me, like I just prioritize it. It's not even like a question. Um, I mean, I have the days where I go out with my friends and I'm up till 10 and I feel, I feel pretty rough, pretty rough the next day, but. <laughs> I love the 10. I'm up till 10. Yeah, that's pretty late. <laughs> I'll tell you though, like I'm, I'm in bed at eight a lot too. So I feel <laughs> you on that. If you're in bed at eight, are you a morning runner? I, um, I was when I was working. Uh, I would get up at like five to run now that I 
don't have a day job, I do wait till eight, but I'm up at five. And what do your recovery routines look like? I'm a big fan of the Normatec boots as well. Um, again, yeah, I think it's more of a mental thing, just sitting down, having that time to yourself. You literally can't move, so you're forced to just stay there. Um, sleep is also a big thing for me. I don't know if I get nine hours, but I, I feel like I'm pretty consistent in that eight range. Um, and then I'm really big lately on just rolling out, whether that's in the morning, right before a run or after a run, um, just making sure certain tendons are loose and uh, just trying to do some prehab on that end. Something that a lot of runners deal with, and especially marathoners, considering these buildups can be anywhere from 14 to 20 weeks, is the, I hate to say it, concept of injury. Raise your hand if you're in the room and you've dealt with injury before. Uh, if you're listening to this, everybody's hand is raised. So it sucks, right? And it's hard to get through. Uh, have either of you ever dealt with a debilitating injury that prevented you from getting to the starting line? Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in college, I actually had a stress fracture in my femur. So that kept me off the starting line for a while. And yeah, it's tough. I think when you have something that's some like that you rely on every single day and it's taken away from you, it's it can mentally be really difficult. Yeah, I had a, a broken metatarsal last uh, fall and winter, and yeah, it, it is frustrating. You, there's nothing you can do. You can't run until it heals, and it, it forces you to have a lot of patience. And I do think you learn a lot in those moments, but when it's over, you're like, I never want to go through that again, but I know I grew. <laughs> a broken metatarsal, so small, it's but so such small. a big deal. Is that bone even important? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it is interesting, that note that you just said, that you do learn so much during those hard moments. When you reflect on your injured times, are there any really big lessons that you walked away from not being able to do the thing that meant so much to you? I will survive without it. it it's my best friend running is, but I, I'm still a person without it. Yeah, it definitely teaches you balance. Um, and I think too, when I broke my foot, it was very, I, I really made myself just take time off, not do any cross training or anything, and just use that time as a mental break and just kind of as a, a, a complete reset. And it made me fall in love with running all over again, just coming back. You're basically starting from square one again, uh, retraining your stride and retraining your body to be comfortable with the paces you need to go. Um, and so just having patience, patience with yourself. This reminds me of what we were saying before about the idea of talking to someone when you're going through the taper and you're like, oh my God, someone just needs to ground me. I also feel like that person, whether it's a coach, whether it's a physical therapist, another friend that happens to be a runner, can be really helpful when it comes to coming back from injury. Because the reality is, is that if you have been running for a while, you don't just like get injured and become like instantly like none of that ever happened. And I think that that's like a really big misconception that we have, right? It's like I'm injured and I've lost 100% of every ounce of fitness that I've ever had. And that's just not true. You still have that muscle memory, so to speak, right? So the question then becomes in those buildups back to where you were, back to where you want to be, do you recall anything from those experiences that was really helpful for you and something that you kind of keep in the back of your mind for maybe the next time that something's not going as planned? Maybe, you know, just making sure you listen to your body in the early stages of an injury. Um, 
Sometimes there's like minor little aches and pains that you just push off to the side because you're like, I don't have time for an injury right now, so I'm just gonna keep pushing through it. Uh, but listen to those little pains and make sure you're either treating it early or you know just making sure you're looking at it so it doesn't turn into anything bigger, I would say. And that's probably one of the things that I struggle with is just you know acknowledging that you're you're hurting and you need, you need to take a look at it. I'll never forget that someone had messaged me who had uh, maybe the day before, and I'm sure there was some emotional trauma, but COVID, gestures loosely. And she was like, I'm supposed to run a marathon in three weeks. Like, what should I do? Should I be training like while I have COVID? And I was like, ask yourself that question again and then ask me what you think my answer is going to be. She knew the answer. The answer is you need your body needs to recover. You need to recover. So take a step back. Give your body what it needs, rest, and then you're going to figure it out. You know, like, I, I hate to say what will be will be, and that doesn't make the blow any less, you know, feel dramatic when we're going through the things that we don't want to happen. But longevity should always be the goal, right? So, I mean, I, as well, I asked you if there was a time that you didn't get to show up to a starting line. Um, I also have gone through an experience where I didn't get to show up to a marathon starting line that I was really excited for. And that experience taught me a lot of grace of myself. It taught me the importance of, uh, like, kind of examining my identity, as the both of you so eloquently said, that was so important to you when you were struggling with injury. And it really does help propel you forward to, like, the next really, you know, exciting thing. You come back stronger, as they say. And you can always sign up for a different marathon. I know. Yes, there will be more marathons, more things to do. Okay, we did here, we touched on recovery, we touched on temperature, we touched on gear, we touched on advice. Now, when it comes to pre-race rituals, do either of you have rituals that are like a huge part of your pre-race routine? In college, I was grounded in rituals. Like everything was planned out to the minute. Um, okay. I have let go of a lot of it because I think that can lead to some negative things. Like, oh no, I forgot my socks. Now I can't run fast. Like that's not true. But I have a few things. I like to braid my hair for some reason. That's just my thing. And um, I do three jumps on the start line and that's it now. I'd say those are like respectable rituals. I, yeah, I don't really either. I think when I was younger, I was more superstitious. I remember I had a lucky pair of racing underwear at one point in high school. Um, I, I would like write my time on the underwear and everything. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't have those anymore. <laughs> um, but... I thought my dad was weird for collecting champagne bottles with my times on them. <laughs> that, that's cool. If know. your parents started collecting your old underwear, that might be. That's, yeah. that's no, that's a no-no. But, but now I'm not superstitious at all. I think, yeah with kind of what Dakota alluded to, I think every race is so different. If you do have those superstitions in place, it can just end up hurting you because, you know, things are not always going go to go according to plan. So you just have to be flexible. Um, and I think that's something I've just learned with age and years of racing. So we talked about the best advice that you've been offered, but when it comes to beginner marathoners, if you have the opportunity to offer them some advice, what would you tell them? My biggest advice to a marathoner or any person who's just running their first race is just have fun, have a good experience. Um, it's going to get you hooked and you're, you're going to want to do it again. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, that was the goal for me as well. My my coach um, leading into the New York Marathon, he was like, let's just make sure this is a good experience so you actually want to come back to it. Uh, because I think if, you know, if you're not having fun with it, you're probably not going to want to come back 
to it. And you know, that means something different for everyone. So just, uh, yeah, making sure you're finding joy in the training of it and making sure you're finding joy in the race too. Earlier touched on pace, but we kind of like hurdled over that, no pun intended. So when it comes to pacing, because as you were giving your answer, I was thinking about your fast, you just going out there and kind of going balls to the wall. Do you have a goal for how you like to execute on a marathon? Annie, why don't you start us off? The goal was to break 2.30, just a time goal. Um, and then an internal goal, I did want to place top three American. It was, I mean, I had kind of had a pretty successful season leading up to it in other distances. And so I, I was pretty confident going into it. And so I knew it was a possibility. Um, but I think for me, for every race, whether it's a marathon, 5K, 10K, is just, you know, just make decisions based off of the information that you have at the moment. And so, um, you know, at New York, it was, this feels right to be at the front. So this is what I'm going to do. And as long as it feels right, I'm going to do it. And as soon as it feels wrong, I'm going to tuck back in and um, just pace off of other people. Um, so you just really have to gauge your body. How are you feeling? And um, just listen to that as much as you can. Don't try it. Don't try to trick yourself with how you're feeling. Really just listen to your gut and what that tells you. Do the best you can with what you have. Yeah, exactly. That's all you can do, really. And then also, I love that you're speaking to like a rate of perceived exertion, right? Like doing that really legitimate, like kind of close your eyes, internal audit where it's like, how hard am I working right now? And like, what does it feel like? What am I capable of? Do I have more in the tank? Do I need to ease up? This is all really important. And I mean, you work specifically with a coach to come up with a plan, which I think is something that I cannot reiterate enough to anyone in the room or anyone who may be listening to this is that everybody's different, right? So while we may sit here and in a second, Dakota will talk to us about how she likes to pace, but one person may go out there and want to pace perhaps what they call a negative splits marathon, which is when each of your miles, you know, over time is a little faster, so to speak. But someone else may know that they don't have that in the tank. They actually are better going out a little fast, knowing that they won't burn out, but they will slow down a little bit. So everyone's going to be a little bit different. Um, so although you can listen to advice from some really talented ladies like the one sitting next to me, it really helps to talk to a coach one-on-one -on -one and get some good relevant tips pertaining to you as an athlete. Now, pacing for you, Dakota, what's it look like? I'm more metronomic. I don't prefer to start a little slower and get faster. That's just sometimes later in a marathon, my legs just don't have that turnover. Um, but I think it also depends on the course because a course like Boston, I think you should go out there and kind of uh, put some time in your back pocket on those downhills. Um, but also not to say you should start, you know, <laughs> balls to the walls <laughs> like Annie, uh, because you will pay for it if you're going outside of yourself. Traveling for a race can come with its own set of challenges. I know that some of the questions that came in definitely revolved around that, right? So you traveled to run in New York. Talk to us a little bit about maybe some considerations that you took into account when it came to racing, you know, going from a hotel to towing the starting line in somewhere that's not your hometown. Yeah, I think uh, just kind of treating it like usual, um, I guess just controlling the things you can control. A lot of things are out of your control, so just kind of going with the flow in that way. Um, but also, I, I really like to treat races as like mini vacations, too, where it's like, oh, I get to explore a new city. Um, you, you know, in New York, you're essentially touring the entire city while you're running the race. And, you know, same for Boston, you're getting to see so much of the city. And so just really soaking that in and, um, you know, 
know, just sticking to your routine with food and sleep and all that kind of thing, it, it does make it feel more at home, I guess. What about you when it comes to traveling and running a race? Anything to keep in mind? Definitely getting out there farther ahead than the day before, just in, you know, planes get canceled, there are delays. And then I like to just make sure there's a coffee shop nearby uh, for that pre, yeah, pre-race uh, coffee. All right, as we wind down here now, what I want to know, what advice would you offer to any beginner runner here? I think um, your limits start where your vision ends is what I would tell them. And that if you can dream it, you can do it. You never think you're going to uh, be that person who's um, achieving all these great things. And then when it's you, it's just remembering to enjoy those moments um, and just enjoying all the moments that lead up to those those big moments as well and just you know taking it day by day I think most runners want to have a long career or a long um, time that they're in the sport of running and so just enjoying um, every day of it celebrate the small wins is what yeah. I heard there yeah amazing amazing well thank you the both of you so much you. for your time thank you you know how it goes, another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.